Welcome to Lilac Wine, the podcast. If you haven't heard the previous episode, Prologue, please take a listen. We are releasing this novel a chapter at a time. It was the summer of 1917. As America prepares to shed her blood on a distant shore, two lonely people are brought together by fate, torn apart by war, consecrated by wine. Lilac Wine. This is Lilac Wine, the podcast. Each episode features a chapter from the novel, a rough draft if you will, read by the author Bruce Janu. New chapters will be written throughout the life of this podcast, until the novel is complete. Join the discussion and make suggestions at lilacwinenovel.com. Stay tuned after the reading for further information about the chapter you just heard. And now, Lilac Wine. Chapter 1 On May 18, 1917, as the first Americans prepared to embark for the battlefields of France under the command of General John J. Blackjack Pershing, Owen Wilson, one of two postal carriers in Lily Springs, tried to jump into the cool waters of the swimming hole west of town. Clutching the rope he had placed two years ago over the branch of the large maple, Owen swung awkwardly over the still waters. He had tested the water with his toe, and after feeling the cold sensation, his enthusiasm for the splash waned. Unfortunately, the rope had become weak, and he had gained weight over the winter due to his wife's tremendous cooking. As he contemplated the fall, the rope suddenly snapped. Caught completely off guard, Owen was helplessly tossed into the air from the momentum of the backswing. It was at the mercy of gravity. He whirled his arms as if to fly, but this only changed his trajectory. He missed the water by a good seven feet. In fact, he missed the soft mud of the shoreline and landed on a very large rock. Upon impact, his left leg splintered just below the knee. Pain shot from his leg through his entire body. It was expelled from his mouth in an incredibly loud roar. His roar could be heard in Lily Springs, for sound travels a great distance during the summer months. No one in Lily Springs knew what that sound was. Mabel Glassman, the oldest woman in town, thought the Germans were invading. At the age of 103, Mabel still had a keen sense of hearing, but an imagination that at times went wild. Several years back, for example, she started telling everyone in town that she had made love to Robert E. Lee a few days before the Battle of Gettysburg. According to Mabel, the general was only thinking of her on those hot days back in 1863, and that she was the reason why he lost. Everyone in Lily Springs was shocked that the old lady could even mention such an act without blushing, let alone associate the general with the deed. Of course, no one believed her. They simply ignored her rantings and blamed her licentiousness on senility. It's the Huns, Mabel exclaimed on that pleasant May day in 1917. She sat on her porch in a large swing, listening intently to the sounds of Lily Springs. 
Since the outbreak of the war, Mabel had consistently warned of a German attack. She expected a pack of U-boats to sneak up the Mississippi and pound Lily Springs with large deck guns. Sometimes she could be seen with a pair of binoculars, staring out in the distance at the muddy waters of the Mississippi. She kept a loud whistle around her neck, and when Owen's wailings reached her ears, that whistle quickly entered her mouth. The high-pitched shriek of the whistle brought her daughter, Lisa, out onto the porch. They're here! They're here! Mabel screamed. Lisa, a 78-year-old widow, was quite accustomed to her mother's rantings and knew just what to do. She handed her a tall glass of lemonade, topped with a splash of some distilled spirits purchased from a store on the Illinois side of the river for such occasions. Owen's unremitting clamor awakened Gerald Rawlings, the mayor of Lily Springs, from his daily nap. With a quick stretch, he tucked in his shirt and arranged the few strands of hair left on his head. Outside on the square, people were gathering. What the hell is that? the mayor exclaimed as he rushed into the downtown street, squinting in the sun. An old woman sitting on the bench beneath the awning of the Main Street Pharmacy resonantly cleared her throat. <clears> throat> and glared at him. Sorry, Rose, he said as he passed her on the sidewalk. Gerald had a problem with swearing, although for the last 20 or so years he had run unopposed for the mayoral position. Last year, Rose had organized the citizens group and had confronted him about his frequent choice of words. He promised that he would watch himself in the future. No need, Gerald, she told him. I'll be watching and listening to your every move. Gerald made his way to the green, hedge-bordered town square, which really wasn't a square, but more of a triangle. Beneath the bronze statue of a nameless Civil War soldier, a few townspeople had gathered around Tom Brooks, who advocated the forming of a hunting party and was trying to recruit volunteers. Once part of Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders, Tom still preferred a horse to an automobile. He sat proudly on the back of glory, an old and decrepit mare. As constable of Lily Springs, Tom found his days to be somewhat insipid, for nothing ever happened in Lily Springs. For the first time that year, he actually became excited. It sounds like a poor animal dying, he said. It's best we find the creature and put it out of its misery. Billy Miles eagerly raised his hand. Billy, a 17-year-old mechanical genius, was the only automobile mechanic in town. His father owned a station just west of the Triangle on Main Street. Lily Springs had less than a dozen automobiles, therefore Billy spent much of his time daydreaming. He dreamt about leaving Lily Springs and automobiles, but mostly automobiles. What do you think it is, Tom? he asked. I don't know, maybe a coyote or a wolf caught in a trap or wounded by, a, who knows? Maybe we should just leave it alone, said Herbert, the town barber. Herbert didn't like anything wild, especially animals that growled and had large teeth. As a child in Lily Springs, he had been chased by a black bear around his barn. He couldn't remember how many times he had circumnavigated the barn before the bear had given up the chase. I don't want some wounded animal coming to town, 
Tom answered with a glare. Animals in that state are unpredictable. Who knows what might happen then? I say we go south of town and find the creature and shoot it. The wailing grew worse and echoed through the maples and oaks reverberated off the buildings. But no one can tell where it was coming from. I say we go north, said Gerald. No, replied Tom with a touch of indignation. It's definitely coming from the south. Like umpires arguing over a call, Gerald and Tom proceeded to bicker over the direction of the sound. Being the war veteran, Tom insisted he knew sounds, for in the jungles of Cuba, he explained, it was a matter of survival to be able to locate the enemy sniper fire. Shaking his head, Gerald disagreed. He tried using his power as mayor to insist the sound was coming from the north. Now, Tom, he said, I've been mayor here for 21 years. I've lived in this goddamn town for 62 goddamn years. I've heard every type of sound there is, and this sound is coming from the north. Listen, Tom said, looking down upon the mayor from his horse, the wind is coming up from the south and is carrying the sound. It simply can't be coming from the north. He turned to Billy, who was engrossed in the spectacle. What do you think? Coming from the south, right? Before the younger participant could answer, Herbert, who avoided the entire commotion and had taken up shade under the statue, interrupted the squabble. Excuse me, gentlemen, he said, holding up a hand as if he were blessing a congregation. Listen. The men stopped their bickering for the moment and turned their ears to the sky. The sound had changed. Faintly, the word Help! fluttered into the town triangle. That's no animal, declared Billy. What is it then? asked Gerald. The three men shot him a look. I, I mean, who is it? I don't know, Tom answered with a touch of disappointment, for he had so wanted to shoot a beast. Now he wouldn't shoot anything. I guess we better go south and find him whoever he is. We'll go north, Gerald clarified with a point of a finger. The constable stared with contempt down at Gerald for a moment, but before the bickering could start once again, he kicked his heels into Glory's side. The old mare began her not-so-swift gallop, if you could call it that, and with Billy walking alongside, proceeded down First Street. You'll never find him! Gerald yelled, and in a huff, turned north. Meanwhile, Owen writhed from the pain in his leg for another hour or so before anyone happened to cross him. A group of boys ditching school had decided to take a dip in the swimming hole and were quite surprised to find Owen sprawled over a rock. They sent for help, and while Gerald, Tom, and Billy searched blindly and confidently through the brush, Dr. Cliff Foster was at the scene examining Owen's leg and applying a splint. Being a small, close-knit community, the story of Owen's brush with death soon bounced from person to person, and before dinner, most of the people in Lily Springs had heard a version of the story. Poor Owen, said Rose after hearing the news. 
She still sat neatly on the bench outside the pharmacy with Ellie, who had taken a seat on the bench after Rose had passed on the story. There on that bench, Rose sat every day when the sun shined. In fact, the town simply acknowledged that the bench was hers, and when anyone saw her coming, they would quickly leap up and tip a hat to her. Owen even delivered the mail to her on the bench nearly every day. Seems Owen's prone to accidents, she stated. Ellie nodded her consensus. Owen was very unlucky when it came to hurting himself. Two years ago, while painting his house, he had slipped and tumbled down the roof. Clawing his fingers into the soft shingles, Owen clasped the rain gutter with his hands moments before he toppled over the edge. Don't move, Owen, cried Julia from an open window. I'll get the ladder. But before she could even make it down the stairs, the gutter groaned under the stress of Owen's weight. Soon, the 45-year-old man found himself lying on the grass with a sharp pain in his arm. Always fallen down, isn't he? said Ellie. Her older companion merely nodded, and as soon as someone walked by, they were sure to pass on the news. By the end of the day, many people in town believed that Owen was chased up a tree by a large black bear and had fallen when the branch had cracked. Some even had heard that the bear slowly chewed off his left arm. Such are rumors in a small town. So that was chapter one of Lilac Wine, my novel in progress. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, again, that was written a very long time ago, in around 1995. And uh, <laughs> it was written before Owen Wilson, the actor, became super well known. I just kind of looked it up and his first movie was around that time. So most people, including myself, had never heard of Owen Wilson. And because I want this to be an authentic experience, I am reading these chapters for the first time in years. And um, I'm going to change that name, Owen, uh, to something else instead of Owen Wilson. Maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I was thinking I probably should. Not too sure now. But um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to change it for this reading. I kept everything as is. This was the introduction to Lily Springs and some of the eccentric characters that live in Lily Springs, like Gerald and Tom and Rose, who sits on the bench. You're going to hear more about Rose in the next chapter because she lives actually next door to the main character, my main character, Belia Brody, who doesn't appear in this chapter. And of course, you're introduced to Billy Miles as well. And Billy, at the time that this was written, did, I did not foresee a huge role for him, but that is going to change once Robert Bishop comes to town and uh, Billy's going to have a very important role. 
Um, very important story arc. But uh, the town, when I was writing this, I was trying to imagine what this town looked like. This town is in northeastern Iowa along the banks of the Mississippi. About 10 years or more after beginning to write this novel, I traveled to Dubuque. I went to the Dubuque Library to do some research on the area and uh, riverboats and so forth. And then I drove up along the coast of the Mississippi to try and get a feel what a small town would look like in this area. And I came across North Buena Vista, which is north of Dubuque. And uh, I took some pictures. I walked along the banks of the Mississippi uh, where the railroad tracks go. And I, I got kind of a sense. I posted pictures on the website at uh, lilacwinenovel.com. You could see some of those pictures I took uh, a few years ago. And uh, that is kind of what Lily Springs is all about. The first half of the novel takes place in this small fictional town, early summer 1917, before the story then moves to Chicago. Um, that's where Robert Bishop is from, and he and Abelia are going to uh, spend some time in Chicago, and you know the story is going to go uh, from there. Thanks for listening. Next week, we are moving on to chapter two to see the aftermath of Owen's accident. And it's going to be that accident that is going to provide the impetus for Robert Bishop to come to town. To uh, comment on that chapter, to provide feedback, I'm looking for feedback for comments you could go to lilacwinenovel.com. I have a message board set up there where you could talk about each episode. You could ask me questions, and I'll try to answer them on later episodes of this podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I am Bruce Janu. This podcast is produced by Bell Book and Camera Productions. Visit bellbookcamera.com for more information. Lilac Wine is written and produced by me, Bruce David Janu. All content is copyrighted and cannot be used without expressed written permission. If you are liking Lilac Wine, the podcast, please take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes. That will help us gain more listeners. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. The intro voiceover was provided by my colleague and friend, Rachel Vissing. We work together on another podcast at the school where we both work. That podcast is We Are EG and tells the stories of students and staff at Elk Grove High School, but demonstrates that no matter where you are, we all have something in common. Check that podcast out at weareg.org and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. All music and sound effects are licensed through Audioblocks. Please visit lilacwinenovel.com to join the discussion. Ask me questions, make comments. The purpose of Lilac Wine, the podcast, is to discuss the creative process. 
Your comments and suggestions are greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening.